Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome you to our podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon, volumes one through eight, in paperback and ebook format. And for those of you who like to do a little listening to your books, volumes one through seven and soon to be eight are available at Audacity, uh, <laughs> iTunes, and Amazon as well. So do partake of them. And by the way, I have a new book that I've written, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that before I dip into my Bigfoot segment a little later on in the show. But right now, may I introduce you to my co-host and brother, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm good. What's going on, Bill? Well, you know, I thought it was interesting, Kev, you know, how we were digging into that... uh, mysterious big cats in uh, Europe uh, bit uh, in the last podcast or the podcast before. And I'm sure you were aware of that Bengal tiger that was seen wandering the streets in the United States. Oh, yeah. So it's just I said to myself, how freaky is this that we were just talking about Big cats, and by the way, we're getting a lot of feedback from other people over in Great Britain uh, with large cat stories uh, from around there. It's really I know. watch out for the Black Panther when you're walking your dog. Oh my God, it's man, awesome. it's creepy. And here we have folks in the United States, uh, a Bengal tiger uh, escaping from some guy's house or wherever it came from. Uh, I understand they've captured it. Uh, and there were pictures of people petting it and giving it a milk bottle and everything. Uh, and, you know, hence... This By the is, way, one of those guys with the milk bottle looked a little bit like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't drink milk. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was weird, you know, the way these people are cozying up to this young bangle. That's probably 150 pounds. Uh, they have no idea. They're just clueless. Yeah, and this is where the trouble begins, right? You you adopt one of these things in some nefarious way through some illegal uh, operation. Uh, next thing you know, somebody's getting torn up by it in the woods or in their house. Come on, it's just a little kitty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you see the size of that thing? Well, you know, you know, you don't have to look too closely. It's a Bengal tiger. <laughs> yeah. 
unbelievable, man. <laughs> oh, my God. The thing will kill you in a heartbeat. As a young cat, it's got like, you know, three, three and a half inch long fang teeth. Yeah, and the claws are probably three and a half inches long, oh my too. My God, man. No way. It's just incredible, but it just goes to show you that... People are stupid. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Yeah, people are <laughs> stupid. That's the best way to put it. People are just stupid. Not everybody, but there's certainly uh, a chunk of the population out there that's not thinking clearly when they're playing with tigers. Yeah, unbelievable. And by the way, Kev, I did look at that... Uh, picture you sent to me of the woman in uh, England walking down the street. Oh, yeah, with the cheetah uh, or leopard, yeah, right? Yeah, no, that was a cheetah. Okay. And she's dressed to the nines with heels on and, like, you know, oh, hat, the whole thing, and uh, walking with this cheetah, like, in the 50s, yeah, uh, down the sidewalk in, like, it looked like mainstream London or something. Yeah, well, that's what they call High Street in London. It's like Main Street. Where all the big shops are. Jeez, it's just hard to yeah, believe. Kind of like you walking down the street in West Hampton a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, well, you know I'm a big time character, man, WJ. Did you have the cheetah with you? <laughs> 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 or maybe a Jaguar. <laughs> no, out there you drive your Jaguar. Oh, okay. My mistake. <laughs> yeah, My you mistake. don't walk if you're walking it, it's an old edition. <laughs> you need to like go pushing it. Yeah, you need to go down to Southampton Motor Coach and buy yourself <laughs> a new one, brother. <laughs> All right, so, awesome. So, what do you got for us today, Kevin? Well, first off, Bill, tonight is a very special podcast. Do you know why? <laughs> I think all of our podcasts are special. They are. They are. You know, I mean, last week was what? Stupendous. Not stupendous. Something else <laughs> like that. But, but this is a special one. All right. Do you know why? It's my birthday. No, it's not your birthday <laughs> and it's not my birthday. So relax. It is our 100th podcast. Ah, Fantastic. <laughs> The Centennial Edition. Yes, 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 yes. And who would have thought? Yeah, well, we're, we're grooving along here. And by the way, thanks to our listeners, folks, uh, last weekend, which is probably three weeks ago by the time this podcast gets off, right, yeah, Kev? don't give away our stats, though, Bill. All don't right, I'm not telling stats. them then. Okay, good. But we had we we hit a big milestone, folks, and uh, and and we couldn't do it without you. But this milestone this week, I mean, holy cow, Bill, a hun- the hundredth podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's I a- mean, when you think about that first one, we were we were talking about Provo, Utah. We didn't know what quite to expect, and uh, it has taken off like wildfire. I never would have guessed that we would be doing our 100th <laughs> podcast right now. It's fantastic. And, you know, uh, all the friends uh, being made along the way is really uh, an insurmountable statistic. I mean, the- I agree. I mean, it's fantastic. You know, Bill, like you saw this week. Got somebody that wants to meet me for a beer when they drop their kid off at school here at college. I'm like, I'm all in for meeting you for a beer. I think he said a beer or five. He did say that. 
<laughs> he did say that. <laughs> but it is the Centennial Edition here. And I went back and I looked at famous Centennials. And, uh, you know, probably the best one to talk about, just for a minute, Bill, is the Centennial Exhibition, which was on the 100th anniversary of our own United States. Oh. And uh, I hadn't read about this before, but it was in 1876, of course, right. uh, uh, in Philadelphia. And it was the first official World's Fair that was held in the United States. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And about 10 million visitors attended, which was about 20% of the population of the United States at the time. Yeah. Now, was it uh, if you know, if you don't know, just say you don't know. Okay. Was it Tesla or Edison that was awarded uh, the opportunity to illuminate the fair with light bulbs? Oh, no. You're thinking of, I think you're thinking of the uh, one in Chicago. Oh, yes, yes. The Chicago one. Yep. Yeah, which we're going to talk about that one. So just because I wanted to bring it up. But what do you think the main attraction was in 18... And this is hard because I never heard of this before. But in 1876, what did they have at the World's Fair that was a super cool thing to ride on? A super cool thing to ride on at the World's Fair. Yeah. I would say it was a car. No, no. So that's a good guess. I would have guessed the same thing. But they had a monorail. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like Disney World of the day. Holy cow. Yeah, it was it was very short, though. Well, relatively short. It, you know, about 155 meters, 170 yards long. Okay. And it connected two of the main halls of the World's Fair. So you rode into the main hall on this monorail and got out and went in to see whatever they had set up. Exactly. That was a pretty cool way to get introduced to the fair. It's super cool. Now, you were talking about the 1896 World's Fair. Okay. So right about 20 years later than that. And this one is uh, also featured in a book by this uh, famous author called Eric Larson, that I read, and and I think Bill, you sent me a note a while back, probably six months ago, to look into the Murder Hotel in Chicago. You yeah. remember that? Yeah, what a gruesome place. Yeah, so this uh, Murder Hotel is featured in this book by Eric Larson, and the name of the book is called "The Devil in the White City." And Eric Larson's not paying us to feature this, but I read the book probably six or eight months ago, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I bring it up because it's it's all about, it has this dual thread uh, about the 1896 World's Fair in Chicago uh, and this guy, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, who was like a huge serial killer that built this hotel and killed all these young ladies at the same time the fair was going on. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he took advantage of the fair being there, knowing that people were going to need a place to stay. Exactly. Exactly. Total psychopath. Yeah. But but what's interesting about the 1896 World's Fair, 20 years later, um, they had... so, So prior to the Chicago World's Fair in 1896, the World's Fair or World Expo was in Paris. And there was a guy named Eiffel 
that built this pretty spectacular thing in Paris, right, <laughs> that we now know as the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, a few le- few years later, Chicago gets the opportunity to host it, and they're like, how the heck are we going to outdo the Eiffel Tower? Can you imagine? Like, you can't even outdo the Eiffel Tower today. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of uh, architecture for sure. Yeah, just spectacular. So uh, in 1896, they had this guy named Ferris, not Ferris Bueller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But his name was Ferris. Yeah. And what do you think Ferris came up with at the 1896 World? Well, I, I, you know, I wasn't born last night. The, fe- <laughs> the Ferris wheel, perhaps. Well, I'm glad you got that, Bill. Yeah, yeah. But this Ferris wheel that he built, I forget the dimensions of it, but the cars that people rode in were the same size as railroad cars. Yeah, that was a big mother, that Ferris wheel at a that big fair. big mother, that's yeah. a good way to put it. <laughs> that, was a, yeah. that was a Ferris wheel made for Bigfoot families. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no problem, we got room for you. Come on in, Mr. Ten-Footer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you can bring the kids, too. Yeah, it's fine, yeah. we got room. Hey, hey, stop biting your toenails. Sit it over turns there. turns out the family in front of you wants to get off. <laughs> Uh oh! Looks like there's a fight in car seven. <laughs> yeah, so that is uh, so happy centennial edition, Bill. Awesome, <laughs> fantastic! I love it. I love it. And for the one hundredth edition, we're going to do something special in the cryptids in the news and other oddities. This is a pretty well-known cryptid that we have not featured yet, but he certainly is creepy. Mm. The Chupacabra. Ah, I love the Chupa. <laughs> <laughs> what is it you like about him? The creature from the Black Lagoon appearance? <laughs> well, you know, there's such a variety of descriptions oh, yeah. uh, of the Chupa. Uh, the one I like most, I, I'm really kind of sad that these people have cut, run across this hairless breed of uh, or crossbred dog right. down in the south. Because to me, that's not the chupacabra. Right. Uh, the Puerto Rican people on the island of Puerto Rico, those that have encountered this thing early on, uh, described it as a nasty kind of upright little creature that walked on two legs. And I mean, this is a fiendish-looking thing. This is a. This oh, yeah. is a, it's like alien-like, lizard-like. Yeah, yeah. It's a nasty bugger. On its back, you know, no fur or hair or anything, and these big eyes. Yeah. And, I mean, like a big, uh, big lizard walking yeah. around on its hind legs. Yeah, and their descriptions uh, going back quite a bit were nothing about anything running on four legs. No. You know. Uh, this and that and the other things. The sightings were quite horrific. And, of course, the animals were being found drained of blood. That's it. So, you know, do you know what chupacabra means in Spanish? Sure. My wife is Spanish. It means goat sucker. You got it. Goat sucker. So uh, the first big sighting in Puerto Rico that you talked about, Bill, was in 1995. And when I was looking back and researching this, you know, I spent a good amount of time in the early 90s in Puerto Rico, but I didn't know about the chupacabra, and no, I did not suck the blood out of any ghost. 
<laughs> no blood was sucked cool. on this I didn't podcast. Know about it, and I was down there doing some work, and it was like, whoa, check that out. It was actually there back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a creep. You know, there's a lot of activity around Puerto Rico, and I'm talking yeah. UFO, uh, Chupacabra. There's, there's a lot of high strangeness going around down in that yeah. region. Yeah, and I guess a lot of the folks there, you know, they kind of attributed it to the fact that uh, the U.S. government might be doing something really weird down there, or there were some uh, satanic cults down there that were causing a lot of trouble and doing some animal sacrifices and stuff like that. Well, I don't know. You know, I think the I think the government gets blamed for doing a lot of stuff that, frankly, they're not doing. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know me. I'm not the conspiracy person, and I just don't think the government has time to suck the blood out of goats <laughs> in Puerto Rico. And hey, we're trying to get the street paved over here, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, a cover-up is one thing, and the reasons behind that can be innumerable. Uh, but, you know, creating— Well, and in fairness, I think a lot of these theories, including this one, are when, you know, the government's doing some type of experiment, maybe with warriors or something like that, and it goes astray. Well, you know that's, I mean. yeah, that's where it comes from, right? It's a yeah, science exactly. project gone bad. Exactly. You exactly. Know. So, but, but uh, of course, my beliefs are not that way. Uh, you know, whether or not there is a chupacabra, I don't know. But uh, the descriptions and the fear on some of the people's faces, and some of these people, uh, Kev, again, were uh, women, children, uh, that had a camera put in their face, and they were talking, like, you know, and... There was visible fear uh, and, and, and definitely angst on their part that they had seen something that scared the bejeebas out of them. No, no doubt about it. And what's what's interesting, though, is uh, definitely so you had these sightings starting in Puerto Rico in 1995, but they go like all around the world, Bill, like certainly in Latin America and then up into the United States. And then there were a lot of sightings of something that looked very similar in India, of all places. Yeah. So kind of, you know, rebounding all around the world up until, you know, like the last one that I read about was a few years ago in 2018. Mm-hmm. So very, <coughs> very strange stuff. Now, what's interesting, you know, if you want to poke a hole in the theory, um, is that the original eyewitness in Puerto Rico, her name was Madeline Tolentino, um, and um, the the creature that she, she saw looks a lot like this uh, character called Sil, S-I-L, in a 1995 science fiction horror film called Species. Hmm. So it's pretty interesting that the way she described it, it was nearly identical to uh, this, this uh, character in Species, and she said that she had seen the movie before the report. Oh, that's interesting that she didn't yeah. dodge it. No, she says it was a creature that looked like the chupacabra with spines on its back and all. Hmm. The resemblance to the chupacabra was really impressive, Tolentino reported. You know, that's that's got my attention, you know, really, that she didn't, like I say, dodge the question or the comparison. 
she admitted to seeing both. No. Yeah. Huh. So I don't I don't know what to make of that. And there's a lot of different other research <laughs> research of experts that came in and said, "Come on, you know, she saw the film and uh there's got to be a connection between what she saw and what she reported." Well, here we go again with the experts, right? Well, yeah, at least no one said it was probably a bear. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my goodness, you know, if if I never hear the word experts again, it won't be too soon, you know. No, but you're right, Bill, where they they also attribute it to this uh not only hairless breed of dogs, but these dogs, these wild dogs that get the mange, mm-hmm. you know, like a version of the mange where mm-hmm. they lose their fur. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really interesting, though, is whenever they find these animals, you know, whether they're chickens or whatever kind of livestock that they find, goats, certainly, um, they don't eat the animals. They just have like bites on their neck and they're drained of their blood. Right. So that kind of rules out these wild dogs. Yeah, because you know, it's kind of like a fox raiding a chicken coop, right? When's the last time you heard about a fox biting the chickens in the neck but not eating them? Yeah, no, they're torn to shreds. They're torn to shreds. All yeah. there is is like uh, like somebody tore up a, a down comforter or something. It's yeah. just feathers everywhere. Yeah, now they eat everything. There's blood all over the place. You know, it's not two Dracula-type uh, bites in the neck clean. Yeah. So that's what that's what has me like, you know, the the parallel to the movie species is kind of weird. Like, OK, why? Why is it the same year? And she doesn't deny it and stuff like that. But the fact that, you know, when folks say, oh, it's probably these wild dogs that have the mange or coyotes that have the mange. I mean, come on. Coyotes aren't going to be like, hey, Bill, you bite this one in the neck, I'll bite the other one in the neck, and then we'll go to McDonald's. You know, we don't have to eat anything. Uh-huh. Doesn't yeah. work out, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're going to rip this stuff apart. That's right. Yeah. It's very bizarre, man. Very. What's going on lately with the Chupa? Did you come up uh, with anything on that? I mean, I see different sightings all around the world. Not much going on right now in Puerto Rico that I see. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be maintaining any kind of head of steam, no. but but yet nothing in the world of cryptids, uh, cryptids, cryptids really maintains a head of steam. You know, even Bigfoot. Uh, it, it, if you talk to a person on the street about it, they'll be like, "Big who?" You know, <laughs> that, it, it seems to be segregated to people of like minds and people who are interested. But mainstream society is not uh, necessarily interested in uh, Bigfoot or the Chupacabra. Yeah, I think it, it it depends on when it shows up in the news, Bill. Yeah. You know, like we've been talking a lot about the UFOs or more specifically the UAPs lately. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching tonight on uh, 60 Minutes. The uh, We're going to talk about it in one of the letters that somebody wrote in about. You know, these UAPs are showing up on 60 Minutes as one of the three segments of the one-hour show. You know, so so I think you're right. Like, everything goes quiet until the mainstream media picks up on it. That's right. You know, uh, well, see, it's not enough if you or I talk about it. Uh, one of the talking heads knocking down 20 million a year 
uh, has to talk about it, and then it's like, wow, well, he's talking about it. Like, yeah, well, it is strange. Like, you know, they, you know, you mentioned that, Bill, because we do have these sightings of the hairy man from law enforcement people, from senators and stuff like that, but yet it never really gets picked up. But we do need, we need to see a little bit more. I mean, I'm, a, I'm excited, like I keep saying. You know, I was walking down the beach this past weekend out at the coast, and his kids were out there, and it was like some kind of a camp or something like that, like eight- and nine-year-olds. And they were running around doing a tug-of-war and stuff like that. And they all had phones, and they were, like, videotaping one another. And I was saying, you know, to my bride, like, can you imagine all the videos that come out of something like this? And it kind of is a play on what you and I have talked about. You know, now that everybody's carrying a high-def camera in their pocket, we got to start to see some more video of, uh, of the hairy man. Yeah, well, then you also need the people who took the pictures to present it somewhere well, where yeah. it can be seen. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, like if I share it with you and a couple of people at work and say, look at this cool thing, and it never goes past 10 people. Well, and that's the problem. Like, so, so, like, I know I'm jumping around, but you look at this UAP sighting, which I'll probably talk about in the coming weeks further, and this 60 Minutes account. They had the commander of this uh, F-18 squadron from the Nimitz, and one of the other pilots, and they both saw it at the same time. And each one of them said that if they were out there by themselves, they probably never would have reported this. So that's the other challenge with seeing Bigfoot, is you're not usually out there with a few people. You know, a lot of these sightings, you know, a few or at least a few law enforcement people, or a few military people, or a few state senators, or U.S. senators, for example, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one person usually. Yeah, yeah. That actually has the sighting. Yeah. Well, it's an individual who's looking. Once again, it's an individual. Well, that's what I mean, though. But the individual then is more likely to not report it publicly so that they're not seen as being crazy. Yeah. Whereas if it was a group of people at a luncheon. Heck yeah. It's unavoidable. <laughs> you How do you not talk about it? Right. Well, we all saw it, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, there's truth, there's truth to uh, both sides of the coin, you know? It's just a a question of uh, who, what, where, when, and how, you know? Yeah. And uh, So any of our audience out there that, you know, may have been around in Puerto Rico when the Chubacabra was seen or any place else in the world— Please write in and give us some uh, give us some firsthand accounts or even secondhand accounts from your family members that may know more about the chupacabra. Right, and if any of you believe that you were in fact a teenage chupacabra, uh, we want you to write into <laughs> us as well. Yeah, send us a picture too. <laughs> Here's me at the prom. <laughs> we won't turn you in when the spines are sticking out the back of your tuxedo. <laughs> unbelievable awesome so what do you got this week bill on our 100th episode well i got something really neat but i said that i was going to talk about my new book uh to the uh, audience now you know as i break into this just for two minutes here folks you know we all know that there are many laws in the universe right and there's laws on earth right we have laws to control society and 
people on one side of the law are treated vastly differently than people on the other side of the law. We have scientific laws and mathematical laws, laws of attraction. And what if I was to tell you that there are, in fact, laws that govern or control or deny you the ability to prosper? Now, I have written a book that I've entitled How to Make Money, God's Universal Laws of Wealth and Prosperity. And in this book, I lay out for you, or for those who would care to learn about it, the how and the why and those things that may be standing in the way of you having a better life for yourself and your family in the form of monetary gain, perhaps a better job, uh, the things that many of us think about. So I put this together, and I'm encouraging you to get it. I just released it. It's on Amazon and paperback and ebook, and I'm going to restart recording it in audiobook uh, this week at the Sound Studio. So when that's ready to go, uh, I'll certainly be letting you know. But I would encourage you, this is a great work as far as I am concerned, and there is much to be learned in reading and following through with the things that I'm presenting in this book to you. So without any further ado, let me now jump into what is a ridiculously wild Bigfoot encounter. So, Bill, wait a minute. Though. What's the name of this book? It's called How to Make Money, oh. God's Universal Laws for Wealth and Prosperity. All right. And, uh, you know, now look, I use the word God in there, but it doesn't matter relative to these laws and the things I've written back, what religion you are or are not, if you are agnostic, atheistic, it bears nothing on the teachings that I'm putting forth in there and the laws and the explanations of them that I'm presenting to you. I believe that anybody can benefit greatly from the teachings and the simplicity of what I've laid out in this book. So there you have it. Good deal. So what kind of creepy account you have for us? Well, this sighting was told to me by a fellow named Greg Wilkes, whose parents had a piece of property in the northern part of Georgia dating back in the late 60s era. This is what Greg recollected of what had happened in 1968. My grandparents had a nice spread of land north of Atlanta, which butted up against the Chattahoochee National Forest. At the time, my parents and I, as well as my two siblings, lived in the northwest corner of southwest or South Carolina. Generally, once a month, we would travel over to Grandma and Grandpa's house for a weekend visit. It wasn't all that far, and we really enjoyed spending time with them at their house. Grandpa was retired military, and my grandma had never held a job. 
that's how things were in that day and time, and it seemed to work out very well for everyone. My memories are that of going to my grandparents' house as far back as the late 50s. My grandmother would always have a peach pie and peach cobbler waiting for us when we arrived. She was a fantastic cook and baker and always had delicious things in store for our stay. There are two things that I must tell you coming into this whole Bigfoot thing. First of all, what ended in 1968 had begun in 67. The second thing is that I personally never saw anything. I am simply telling you the story that my grandpa told us. My grandparents had lived in this home since I was about two years old. I was the youngest of three children. At the time of my grandfather's encounter, I was about 12 and well able to understand what had happened and what was being said about the booger, as Grandpa called it. My grandpa was not a farmer in the least, but they had purchased this parcel from a farming family who was selling the farm. They just happened to buy the lot, which had the home on it, and the rest of the land was sold in pieces. I don't recall exactly, but I want to say that they had about five acres. One section of the property had old peach trees on it. These trees were big enough and sturdy enough that I could climb around in them as a youth. It was from these very same trees that my grandma used to pick the peaches, with which she made all of these delicious dishes. I remember hearing my mom talking with my grandma on the phone in 68 about someone stealing all of the peaches from their orchard. My mom and dad were later talking about it at the dinner table, and so I had heard the whole story for myself. Apparently, my grandma had only picked a small amount of peaches, and the two of them had planned to go back out the following week to pretty much harvest the rest. (coughs) Excuse me. They said that the week following when they had gone out, their six trees were picked clean. There wasn't so much as a worm-eaten fruit to be found. Nothing was on the ground either. My grandfather was fighting mad when he saw what had happened, but there was nothing he could do in his mind except to place the blame on the neighbors or their children. If it was the kids, he couldn't make any sense out of children coming home with hundreds of peaches without the parents asking them where they came from. Things were very different in those days, and it would have been a very shameful thing on the part of a parent to overlook such a thing. My grandparents actually had to go and purchase peaches that year so my grandmother could bake. It was during one of our visits the following year that Grandpa divulged his plan. We could tell that he had been fuming about what happened the whole year and was determined not to let it happen again. He had set up two very well-concealed blinds in the woods by the trees. 
He said that it didn't, he didn't care if it took him a month. He was going to stake out the trees. If somebody came in to steal peaches, they were going to get a load of buckshot in the butt. And that's for sure. And the longer he had to wait, the more shot they would be on the receiving end of. I will tell you right now that my recollection was that he was on a mission. When the season had arrived, I remember my mother telling my dad how his father had spent the whole day in the blind, according to Grandma. This was repeated for days around the dinner table. I distinctly remember it was a Thursday evening when everyone was in the house because it was raining. The phone rang, and when my mom answered it, she was very quiet, apparently just listening intently to whoever was talking. My dad said, who is it? She held up her finger as if to say, hold on a minute. She then blurted out, he shot a what? Followed by, what the hell is a booger, mom? My father stood up and grabbed the phone, asking to speak to his father. He was, a pacing, he was pacing around the kitchen and rubbing his head as he spoke to my grandpa. I will remind you again that this was Thursday, and this weekend coming happened to be our weekend to go visit. For the sake of time, I'll pick up on, what, on when we got to the house on Saturday morning. Grandpa was crazy excited to tell us everything that had happened. He took us straight away out into the yard by the blind he was sitting in. He said that he had spent almost the entire week out there waiting for something to happen, and on Thursday at 5, it did. While sitting in the blind, he saw this giant booger, as he called it, coming out of the Chattahoochee Forest. He watched it walk about an eighth of a mile right up to the trees, where he said it actually stopped and was looking at the fruit. He said that he had heavy shot in his Remington and immediately hit the booger with two shots. It jumped into the air like a cat on a hot tin roof. With that, he stood up and the booger was already heading for the trees. He said he fired three more rounds and was sure he hit it, but it just kept running. He couldn't believe that the booger didn't go down. But it was a long shot, and he knew that he had hit it squarely at least twice, if not more. Now, my dad had done his best to explain what a booger was on Thursday night, but now we were listening to Grandpa's version. He said the booger was bigger than a horse on its hind legs and covered in brown fur. According to him, it was a thousand pounds and as wide as his Volkswagen. When he hit it with the buckshot, it jumped five feet off the ground, at which point he had hit it again on the way down. Even after hitting it, the booger ran faster than a racehorse across the field and into the trees. It was during the run that he tried to lead it with three other shots, hoping to hit it again. He kept imitating what, looked, what it looked like when it jumped, and we were rolling with laughter. We now know that what he shot was a Bigfoot, but back then the locals called them boogers and the Cherokees called them hairy men. They never again had an issue with the fruit in their field, and Grandpa talked about that day until the day he had passed.
What do you think of that, Kev? The boogers are back. The and in the Chattahoochee down there in northern Georgia. Wow. Yeah. The I booger. like that description. Bigger than a horse and walking on its hind legs. What do you say? A thousand pounds? Yeah. Said it wow. was said it was wider than his Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> what a comparison. That's pretty good. A horse, but wider than a Volkswagen on its hind legs. Whoa. Freaking monster. Okay, that's a monster. Yeah, you know, and here we are again. I mean, uh, if I've heard this once, I've heard it a dozen times. Uh, Bigfoot scene around orchards. Yeah, yeah. I'm, by the way, I'm a little hungry for some peach cobbler after listening to that. Boy, I'm telling <laughs> you, man. I don't, I don't, I don't rightfully know as I've ever had peach cobbler, but it sounds oh, good. You're missing out, man. Yeah, yeah. A little peach cobbler with some cinnamon ice cream. Wow. Well, I mean, if you could send me over one via Skype, I'll start slobbering over it right now. <laughs> I don't have any here, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, but here's a guy, uh, you know, wondering, like, where the heck did all my fruit go? And who wouldn't wonder that, right? No, and I like the description, too, where he was saying that, you know, even under the trees, there wasn't even a worm-ridden peach to be found. Like, everything was gone, which is very strange. Yeah, a real gathering up of anything that could. And I guess a Bigfoot wouldn't care if a worm was in it or not, you know. I mean, just. I mean, you might gather up some wormy ones to whip at somebody. (laughs) (laughs) In self-defense, of course. I mean, if they throw boulders, they can throw peaches, too. Come on. No doubt. Maybe they can pitch for the Yankees. (laughs) <laughs> Look out! <laughs> Are you going to make that guy shave <laughs> to wear the pinstripes? Yeah. Remember, you can't have any facial hair if you're exactly. a Yankee. <laughs> Even if you're a hairy man. Uh, you know, I like I like the farmer's attitude of can do. In other words, you know, give me the shotgun, go in the house, leave me alone. I get it, but buckshot on something that weighs a thousand pounds? I well, don't know. He didn't know what it was. Right. Well, the guy didn't know what he was going to be confronted with, if anything. Oh, well, I get it. So, uh, you know, I don't know if he would have pulled the trigger if it was the neighbor's kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, a description like that, you could see why it didn't stop it. Yeah, right. I don't know. Uh, how many times have we heard uh, shotgun being used on these things and it didn't do it? Yeah. Just just incapable of putting it down. I'm with you. So I don't know. Maybe a shotgun with a slug in it uh, would have that a better help. opportunity than, help. than pellets, you know? Yeah, maybe an AR-15 with a 30-shot banana <laughs> clip. Yeah. Well, look, if you shot me with buckshot, I'm probably going down, you know? Oh, yeah. Me too. Let's be clear. But I don't weigh a thousand pounds yet, and I'm not I'm not as wide as a Volkswagen. Yeah. That's a big bubba boy. You got that right. Big bubba. I don't know if we uh no we didn't. I have a uh I have an account in volume nine. That's what I was just thinking about as we're doing this podcast. Uh, where the guy described what he saw as wide as the tailgate on his pickup truck. Oh, 
So, you know, the next time you're behind your F-150, just stand there and think of something that massive. I mean, no, thank I, you. You want to talk about intimidating. Yeah. I, I still can't wrap my mind around why anybody would want to come face to face with that. I mean, it's just it's to me, it's 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 insanity. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, yeah. if if the thing goes on the offensive, you know, uh, your chances again are slim and none and slim just left, you know, as I like to say, <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not getting away, brother. No, no doubt about it. No yeah. doubt about it. That's just, uh, and nobody's going to know what happened to you. Right. Uh, you're going to be one of those uh, missing 411 people, you know? Yes. Maybe Jeez. smashed by a Bigfoot that's as wide as a Volkswagen that weighs 1,000 pounds and is tall as a horse on its hind legs. You know, and Kev, you know, a lot of people listening to our podcast have no idea what a 60s-era uh, beetle, you know, looked like, you know. Uh, I had uh, one of them that I sold to Pat, and you remember Mom and Dad had one. I remember Dad had a 60 or a 61 at one time. Well, he had a few of them. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. He had the bus. He had a 61, I believe, and then he had a 68. He had a green one. The green one, yep. And then he had that, like, salmon-colored superbug. I think it was like a 73. Yeah, the, the kind of, yeah, salmon or orange-colored super yeah. beetle. Yeah. And the super beetle was bigger than the, the original one, for sure. Yeah, that was bigger than a booger. <laughs> bigger <laughs> than a booger. <laughs> Just saying. I didn't know it at the time, but it was clearly bigger than a booger. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if the booger was as wide as a 60 VW or a 73, either one, I don't care. Get away from me. Yeah, either one would make me run the other way, <laughs> even if I had a shotgun full of buckshot. <laughs> yeah, maybe pull the trigger over your shoulder as you're running. Yeah, I like that. I like that strategy. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. Like maybe the tail, like the tail gunner in a bomber, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so what do we got today, brother? And uh, yeah, we got some good listener mail. So uh, this is great how our listeners write in. And like this first letter, they're, they're writing in re in response to someone else that wrote in. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, Will wrote in asking about Bigfoot attractants, you know, what people could use to attract a Bigfoot. And I think I recall we were saying, you know, you could leave a cupcake out there, but, you know, you're not sure uh, if the Bigfoot actually picked up the cupcake. But uh, so this gentleman answered Zach in Iowa and he says, hello, WJ and KJ. Great show. I was listening to this week's listener mail, and it reminded me of a story I heard about a, uh, about a conservation officer slash Bigfoot researcher named Joe O'Neill, who supposedly studied under Dr. Jeff Meldrum at, Ohio, at Idaho State University. And Mr. O'Neill claimed he could attract Sasquatches with a controversial combination of mountain animal reproductive discharge when he refined it in a device he called a man mixer. 
He said, I had an acquaintance on an expedition with Joe who swore he heard tree knocks and howls that sounded like they were coming from a crazed orangutan within an hour of placing their strange concoction in the forests of northern Colorado. Wow. Pretty weird, right? Yeah, and I was going to say, though, I mean, why go through all that trouble? Uh, If you want to attract a Bigfoot, I think lipstick and perfume works well. (laughs) I challenge anybody to argue with me about that. Just put it on and go out there in the forest? (laughs) Just say, hey, big boy. (laughs) (laughs) And then Zach writes at the end, I'm not sure about this. Zach might be crazy, actually. He says, KJ KJ has the smooth style and delivery that remind me of the late, great Casey Kasem. Whoa, brother. the old American Top 40 shout-outs. Now, (laughs) I, I love me some Casey Kasem. But not a lot of people have said that I sound like Casey Kasem. <laughs> that might be a stretch, Zach, but thanks for the compliment. Kev, we're going to have to get a recording of Casey somewhere and see if there's a comparison now. I can, I can assure you there is no comparison. I sound like uh, Casey Kasem after he had uh, pneumonia and a bad microphone. <laughs> so, look. You think uh, Zach is uh, suffering from something? Uh, uh, Zach might have me mixed up with somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe Zach was on the other side of a case uh, when he started thinking you sounded like Casey Kasem. Could be, could be. You know, if, you, if you're on your 24th can, <laughs> you know, of uh, Meisterbrow, it's time to put it down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, we go down to Florida now. uh, And, Bill, this this email comes in from W.J. from Florida. W.J., contacting W.J. There you go. And he says, greetings, W.J. and K.J. from sunny central Florida. I've been listening to you guys for a long time now, and I find the podcast funny, entertaining, and interesting. I have a South Florida skunk ape slash Bigfoot true story for you guys, and I hope that you like it. One of my family relatives, my uncle, had an encounter in Davie, Florida, back in the early 80s. I had received this information about this encounter as told to me by him, and he described it to me as this. He was driving to my aunt's house in the early evening hours for a family get-together. While waiting at around 6 p.m. at a red light in a not-yet-developed area of Davie with a lot of pastures and woodland sections, he peered to the other side of the intersection and he saw a very strange-looking creature with long cinnamon-brown hair all over its body, covered from head to toe. It was walking upright on two legs, crossing the road about 50 feet away. When the evidence Sasquatch or Bigfoot or Skunk Ape crossed the road, he or she did it in less than two strides. Wow. Yeah, he said that the beast was a stunning sight to behold. He described it as being at least eight feet tall, with extra wide shoulders, extra long arms, and very dark and almost black eyes. 
and it seemed to be carrying something that seemed fairly small. Maybe the reason that it seemed small was because the creature was so big, uh, you know, he had thought at the time. He went on to say that after it got to the other side of the road, it came upon a cow pasture with a five-strand barbed wire fence at least four and a half feet tall, and it just stepped over it without even turning sideways to do so. I remember him saying that as he pulled his truck to the other side of the intersection where he saw the creature standing not 20 to 25 feet away, just the other side of the barbed wire pasture fence. Then he saw the thing turn its whole upper body to look back at him as if to say, what are you looking at? It had a really pissed off look on its face and it let out a roar that he says vibrated his whole truck. At that time, the creature was way too close for comfort, so he quickly drove another 30 or 40 yards down the road. He stopped his truck at the supposed safe distance where he saw the thing continue across the remainder of the cow pasture and then disappear into a nearby wooded area. Hmm. And he says, my uncle's story will forever be burned into my brain because I was at my aunt's house that night when he arrived. Isn't that wild? (coughs) It certainly is. And it's just another one of those kind of -of matter-of-fact situational sightings. No doubt about it. Right time, right moment. Boom, boom, boom. This, that happened. You know, the other thing that's interesting is the stepping over a four-foot barbed wire fence, just matter-of-factly. Right. I mean, it, 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 it just boggles your mind because no human being, a, a human being would very carefully try to bend the top wire down, carefully get your leg over, not to get snagged on it, you know. And this thing just boop, boop, boop. Over the top and keep walking, you know? Yep. Just remarkable. Long, Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Long hair and the thing kind of staring him down a little bit, you know? 100%. Yeah. And our last letter bill comes in from Rick in Ohio, who is one of our junior correspondents. Actually, a senior correspondent uh-huh. in Ohio. And um, Rick writes in. He says, I just noticed that you are close to hitting 100 episodes. Congratulations on this huge milestone. He said, that's 4.167 complete days of fun and fascination on the hairy man and other cryptids and other oddities. I didn't check his math, Bill. I'm still not following the math. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, 24 hours. Yeah, so he's doing like... uh, an hour roughly per podcast, 24 hours in a day, uh, 4.1 days, right? 100 or so days. Oh, days? 100 or so hours. Okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't check all the math entirely out to 4.167. All right, we're going to check on that math, Rick, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> and he says, thanks so much for the hard work and dedication you give us and your audience to bring us Bigfoot Terror in the Woods week after week. And then he goes on to say, I thought you might like this one. And he says, by the way, Navy pilots to be seen on 60 Minutes this Sunday per the attached article. 
And this is what I was talking about, Bill, where and we'll we'll expand on the UAP episodes that I've done already. But, um, you know, some of these Navy pilots talk about not only seeing them off San Diego, but seeing these uh, uh, crafts off of Virginia so frequently that they got used to seeing them. Yeah. Yeah, wild yeah, it's, stuff. It's almost like they're hanging around where they're hanging around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and apparently, uh, you know, the government, our government, U.S. government, is rumored to put something out like a publication in June about, you know, what they think is going on with all these UAP sightings. So that, mm-hmm. you know, stay tuned. In a few weeks, we might see that. Well, certainly in the uh, sectors that I run in, you know, I'll be hearing about it. Uh, because, you know, I'm interested in all of this uh, high strangeness. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, and folks, you know, terrific stuff, Bill. Congratulations. Congratulations on the 100th episode. Who would have thought we could do 100 episodes and more while we sit 600 miles apart from one another every week? Um, fantastic stuff, fantastic achievement. And folks, thank you for all those five-star reviews. If you haven't left us one lately, please leave us a five-star review today as you listen to this. Um, Really, those five-star reviews are the only means that we have to attract new listeners to the podcast. And by getting new listeners, we're able to stay on schedule and continuously improve the quality of the podcast. So thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah. And folks, just remember, uh, go out and buy some of my books it's a positive show of support for what we're doing, and uh, you make me very happy. And remember, if you happen to see a Bengal tiger walking across your backyard, and it's between you and the rear door of your house, at that time, you may be wishing that you always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.